The program you're about to hear is a talk on ORCA given at the Northeast GNU Linux Fest 2012. It normally would go into our Thursday queue as a syndicated show and wait for its turn in there. But it's come to our attention that ORCA is very desperate for programmers right now and for help of basically every kind. So we decided that that in itself was reason enough to give it a time-critical status, and we bumped it ahead of the rest of our Thursday shows. Please give this a listen and see if there's any way you can help them out. of a microphone. I'm really ADHD, but I'm going to try it. So the presentation title is the ORCA screen reader, but that's a little misleading because I, I'm here with an agenda. Next slide. So we're going to talk very briefly about ORCA, ORCA 101. Um, then I want to talk about how ORCA does what it does because I want to turn everyone into testers, hackers, assistive technology developers, whatever. We have got the worst bus factor problem um, in free desktop accessibility. It's it pretty much if I get hit by a bus and two other people get hit by a bus, like all free desktop accessibility is out the door. So I'm here to recruit. Um, and that's why I'm going to talk about getting involved. Next slide. Okay, so ORCA 101. Okay, so Orca's a screen reader, and just to make sure we're all starting in the same place, I mean, you know, very briefly, Ruben said, you know, okay, here's Orca, and we heard some stuff talking. It's like, well, you know, does screen reader just mean thing that talks? Um, no, and, and that's like a big problem. So for, when we're talking about screen reader, we're talking about a, a target population, users who are blind or visually impaired. Could I make Orca uh, speak my incoming messages in Pigeon? Yeah, that's not what it's for. Can I make Orca work as a tool for people with learning disabilities? Yeah, that's not what it's for. And the problem, in fact, in the past, one of the biggest problems in Orca was we were, because of this bus factor, trying to be too many things for too many people. We used to drive um, Gnome Mag. So people with magnification could track the focus and the carrot, which is just nonsense, and we're not doing that anymore. Doesn't mean it, it doesn't need doing. It just means that's not what a screen reader does. We need people to develop tools for users with learning disabilities. They don't need the overhead of a screen reader. So we're focusing on users who are blind or visually impaired. And, you know, you, you heard the uh, computerized voice talking, and it's called a screen reader. We're not just talking about synthesized speech. We're also talking about refreshable Braille. And refreshable is literally what you think it means. If you've ever seen a Braille book, that's embossed Braille. That's not refreshable Braille. Refreshable Braille is, is hardware, and pins go up and down. And so we can display in real time, you know, what is on the screen. And some users are braille only because they just like it that way. Some users are braille only because they're deafblind. Um, some users don't read braille and they're just using the speech. Um, some users really want braille, but braille devices cost a huge amount of money, and so they might not be able to afford it. So speech and or refreshable braille. And the main thing we're doing, not the only thing we're doing, is tracking the focus, tracking the carrot. You can, you know, press Alt-F, get in an application's file menu, start arrowing down. And so a screen reader, including Orca, needs to present where the focus is, where the selection is. If you're typing or moving around in a document, we need to present that new location, okay, in speech and or refreshable Braille. So a lot of what we're doing is interacting, or excuse me, is presenting in speech and or Braille normal interaction with an application, okay? And if the user's not in that 
particular widget or that particular document, it's probably not relevant. You know, a lot of stuff is happening on your computer. Um, and I should have done this, but we've got a full screen. You know, your clock, you can have your uh, operating system, uh, not operating system, your uh, desktop environment clock displayed seconds. And by the way, we get an accessible event every time you do that. Um, that is not of interest to the user. The user normally cares about what he or she is in. But not always. You know, if I, I in fact I do it all the time. I, I kick my legs a bunch. Again, I'm very ADHD, and I'm always disconnecting my power cord. I'm in a document, but that little thing that says, Hi, your battery is about to go dead, that's really relevant to me. It doesn't have focus, and ain't gonna get focus, but it's on the screen. Um, incoming chat messages. If I'm having a conversation with you in Pigeon or whatever client I choose to use, I'm down in that little editable text box below. But the stuff that really matters is not where I have focus. So we make exceptions. There are things that go above and beyond tabbing and arrowing and stuff like that. And we'll, and we'll present that too. Next slide. In addition, um, I mean, I don't know if you ever thought about what it's, what it's like to use a computer if you can't see what's on the screen. But it's a lot slower. We take in so much information visually. And a lot of it we just filter right out. It's not relevant. Mine discards it. We can visually scan an entire screen really quick. And you can see what those five bullets are. If you have to actually move to the thing, then it becomes it, it just it's much more inefficient. Um, another problem that happens, getting back to, say, arrowing through a menu, if you know that you want the fifth thing down, you can arrow really fast. But imagine if you had to hear, even though you're already on that fifth thing, the first one and the second one and the third one. So we also have to interrupt speech to make it more efficient because if the user's not on that thing anymore, well, it's no longer relevant. Well, that has side effects because if I am typing a message, and you type a message, and then you go, oh, by the way, and hit return again. I mean, let's think of how we all use instant messaging at IRC. No one types sentences anymore. You type like three words, and you hit enter. You type a few more words, and you hit enter. That incoming message can interrupt the previous message. Well, crap, you can't see the previous message. Do I have to, you know, do shift tab and move up there and go find it? Well, so screen readers will give you various utilities for, again, people who are blind or visually impaired to interact more efficiently with what's on the screen. So Orca and other screen readers for Windows, and I think VoiceOver does it, I'm not sure, will let you review previous notifications. Because if, you know, your instant message came in the same time the, oh crap, your battery's about to go dead, I need to go back to that previous notification. So there might be a key command for that. Um, Navigation by element type. Picture a Wikipedia page. How do you read it? You look for the bold headings. You scroll really fast. You move down three headings, and then you start reading the relevant content. Well, you can't do that just by arrowing and tabbing. And sighted users, for the most part, don't really need to jump for heading, you know, heading by heading. They use their vision to do that. So screen readers, you know, might give you a command in the screen reader where you can hit H and move to the next heading, and H, and move to the next heading, and so on. Um, fun and formatting information. How do you know that your text is, you know, 10-point monotype cursiva or whatever, and that it's bold and underlined? Well, if it's in front of you, you, you look at it, okay? If you might go, well, it's bold and it's underlined, but is it 10-point or is it 12-point? Well, that might be the toolbar. It might be in a dialogue. But you can get that information really quickly. Yeah, I could give focus to the toolbar, tab around. Okay, it's just going to take forever. So screen readers will typically give you a command where you could press, you know, some magical hotkey and say F. And it will tell you what point size it is, if it's underlined, and if it's bold, and blah, 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 blah. Okay, so these are the kind of commands I'm talking about. Uh, search the screen for an object. If you don't know, if you have a bunch of stuff, you know, a bunch of widgets on the screen, and someone, especially on the phone or in an instant message, says, well, you got to click on a thing called foo. And you know, how, do I have to tab 
twice? Do I have to tap 50 times? Where is foo? So screen readers can give you a way to search for objects on the screen and jump to it right away. Oops. Okay, so getting back to Orca. Orca's a screen reader. So again, yeah, we kind of in the past got roped into the magnification business briefly, um, or actually for a long time. We are kind of got roped into the LD, uh, learning disability business a little bit. We're working our way out of that. We, we present information in speech and braille. Oh, I forgot the first point. We're written in Python, which means, again, really low barrier to, to joining the crew. Um, Python is so easy. By the way, as an aside, my background is blindness and visual impairment. I worked at the Carroll Center for 15 years. If I could write a screen reader, y'all can write a screen reader, okay? Python is easy. Um, Oh, yeah. Okay, so just for the people who, like, really care about the technical stuff, and we're going to actually get into that shortly. Um, you know, the user's arrowing around in a menu. Well, how do we know what the user's on? How do we know what text is selected? How do we know what the font is? So the screener's going to present all this nifty stuff. How? Well, we, we talked to something called ATSPI, and then we're now up to ATSPI uh, 2, which is basically the DBUS based version instead of the Corbett-based version. But it's the Assistive Technology Service Provider Interface. That's what assistive technologies like ORCA and other assistive technologies, if they were to exist, would interact with the applications and toolkits. Um, the robotic voice you heard uh, during Ruben's presentation, that was Speech Dispatcher, presumably with eSpeak. Uh, speech Dispatcher, ORCA talks to Speech Dispatcher and just says, say this. And speech dispatcher has all the knowledge of the different um, speech synthesizers and how to make them do whatever it is they do. Um, unfortunately, and we'll come back to this, anyone who's like really into hardware and software and speech and all that stuff, man, we gotta do something about those robotic voices. You know, that's where the free software, one of the places free assistive technology really sucks is the voices. Welcome to ARCA. You know, that's got to go. We don't have that problem in Windows. Um, Braille translation. Now, that's a whole other concept if you're not familiar with Braille. So there are different languages have different, you know, common combinations um, of, of words and letters and syllables and all of that stuff. And uh, different words that appear, like, really, really often. And the thing is, Braille takes up a huge, huge amount of space. Okay, I remember going out to teaching in various schools, and sometimes you find a Braille dictionary in what, I mean, I have an OED, all 20 volumes, but most people have like a single volume dictionary. And it, in Braille, it takes up a whole, whole bookcase. Okay, Braille is huge. So you want to be able to contract it to get, and remember, refreshable Braille displays are really expensive. We got to get stuff in small, small spaces. So Braille, not, not just, you know, computer braille or anything like that, but just braille has contractions. So like in English, there's a single sim sim symbol for the ING. There's a single symbol for ED. And because these were all invented way back, I don't remember when, but basically it was to transcribe the Bible. We have it, a K all by itself means knowledge. Okay, um, GD is good. So there's all these contractions, but obviously, K for knowledge doesn't make sense in Spanish Braille. And IG is not a normal combination, although Spanish Braille I don't think is contracted at all, but it's not a normal combination that you see in other languages. Okay, so not only do we have to contract stuff, we need to display, and, and accented letters, we need to display all this stuff to the user in whatever language. We've got a really active Hungarian user. I know nothing about Hungarian Braille, but thank goodness Lip Lewis does. So if you have Lip Lewis, it, it takes care of all the languagey stuff. It takes care of the contractions. The user just says, this is the table I need. And again, Orca doesn't have to worry about it. We just tell Lip Lewis to do it. And then it has to actually talk to the hardware. That's something, um, a high level, uh, well, I always say Braille API, but BRL API talks to what I call Braille TTY which is B-R-L-T-T-Y. And so all that stuff, ORCA doesn't have to worry about that. ORCA is able to deal with life at a very high level, um, which is awesome. Next slide.
Okay, so uh, <laughs> I started to notice a theme here. People keep going, blah, blah, blah. Sun Microsystems, blah, blah, blah. Oracle. And, and then we're, we're going to be yet another um, presentation like that. So very briefly, um, Orca was started from scratch in 2004 by Sun Microsystems. Um, I joined the community... It's either 2005 and 2006, and actually people in this room would probably know better than I would. It's whenever um, the Commonwealth threatened to switch the official document format to ODF, and then blind people complained. You know, I mean, they did, you know, we didn't, there was a lot of misunderstanding, but the res end result of that is people started showing up at Perkins, Carroll Center for the Blind, places like that, to inform us about open document format versus open, you know, what does all this stuff mean? And one of them was Sun Microsystems, and they did this presentation on ORCA, and I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I can make the screen reader. You know, I'm teaching people, and you know, every day how to use JAWS. I can't get my stupid bugs fixed. It costs $1,200, kind of, and I'm like, wait a minute. I can like, you know, I, I took some computer science classes um, after my first master's degree. You know, I kind of know how to program, you know. I can make a screen reader? Okay, I was totally sold and I was in the community whatever year that was. Um, in 2007, we became the official screen reader of GNOME, actually beating out um, the competition LSR from IBM. Um, and it was like, yay, you know, kind of friendly competition. And then IBM had a uh, big old riff or, or uh, no, excuse me, I think it was a, a strategy change. I forget the language they use. It was really pretty language that means we're laying off our entire accessibility department except for some manager. Um, so GNOME accessibility took a hit there. But late 2007, that's when we started talking about GNOME 3. And I think that Ruben was the one who mentioned, you know, when you change everything, okay, that, that's a good way to, 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 I mean, I guarantee you, if you tell me you're going to change everything, you're going to break something accessibility-wise. So it's like, oh gosh, GNOME 3. Oh, by the way, we're going to deprecate Bonobo. Okay, so that means GNOME Mag, which Orca has to drive, is going away. Uh, we got to figure something out about magnification. GNOME Speech, well, we're going to have to figure out how to talk to Speech Dispatcher. Uh, ATSPI is corporate-based. That's going to go away. Oh, it's going to be really non-performant over DBus. Awesome. And right when all this is going on, Sun Microsystems hadn't been bought out yet, but um, they realized that financially they were in trouble, and there was riff after riff after riff. And so the team just got lower and lower and lower, and Sun Microsystems, after IBM, um, that was GNOME accessibility. So, you know, it's like, and then there were three, and then there were two. And then uh, 2009 was the official acquisition. It became legal. Um, I think it was late January 2010, and five days later, the rest of the, um, the accessibility paid people were gone, and all of a sudden, I became project lead. Keep in mind, I'm a teacher with a full-time job, and I'm a project lead. Um, GNOME 3 almost went out the door, and due to things, a few accessibility things and a lot of other things, didn't get out the door, and at least we didn't have to deal with all those magnification, speech problems, et cetera. Um, 2011, it did come out, and, and this is going out live, but so between just us, it was an accessibility nightmare. GNOME 3.0 was not accessible. We tried. Some things just didn't get in on time, even though there were patches. This is the problem with free software, and, and it, entire desktop environments made up of community members, a lot of people with jobs, paid to do it, but everyone's got their own, you know, itches to scratch, quote-unquote, their own company agendas, and things just didn't happen, and GNOME 3 was an accessibility nightmare. That's the bad news. Um, 3.2 came out, it was, it was a lot better. She says kind of, eh. it, it, it was better. Um, it really was, but it still wasn't good enough. Um, and then, in a funny twist of fate, we had a good riff. At first, well, for about three hours, I was panicked. But my, my grant-funded position at the Carroll Center for the Blind, it ended. I was there for like 15 years, and I went to my normal telephone-based meeting, and it's like, are you sitting down? You never want to hear that from your boss. But I, God bless Twitter. I tweeted, you know, 
I just got laid off. Oh my God. And three hours later, I had a job offer from Egalia, who was making a much bigger um, commitment to accessibility. In fact, a, I would argue a bigger commitment than anyone else is. And I'm not saying that just as an employee um, who's drunk in the Kool-Aid. We really are investing quite a lot in accessibility. And so now my day job includes working on Orca. Next slide, please. And we have another developer. In fact, the, GNOME, the new GNOME Accessibility Project Lead is at Egalia. He's also the GNOME Shell Accessibility Developer. And so he and I just focused really, really hard the past couple of months on GNOME Shell and Orca working together. And, and he did most of the work, actually. I was just going, ah, this isn't speaking right, and he'd come up with a fix. And the fine folks at Red Hat, who are the ones really doing the um, GNOME Shell work, got these patches reviewed and gave them feedback, and the patches are getting committed. And, you know, GNOME 3.4, you know, we can have the argument, oh, GNOME 3 is awesome, or, oh, GNOME 3 sucks, I like GNOME 2. Okay, forget all of that. In terms of accessibility for users who are blind, GNOME 3.4 is going to be awesome. Yay. So 2012 is looking up. Um, we're going to start planning GNOME 3.6 soon. And whether or not Triscoll and other districts are going to go to that, I don't know. But it's good good planning time, she says, looking at Ruben. <laughs> so we got to start talking. Um, other really neat things are happening. Uh, QT, it's one guy, mind you. Again, bus factor of one. If this guy in Germany gets hit by a bus, QT accessibility is gone. But right now, he's being very, very careful in his travels. And Nokia is funding a developer to make QT accessible. Doesn't everyone have KDE accessibility like tomorrow? In fact, Plasma is apparently, a, I don't want to say a nightmare. I, I like Plasma personally. But accessibility-wise, apparently, is quite complex. But basic applications now are becoming accessible with Orca. And I personally am not a Skype user because it's, again, one of those closed blobs. But I think users who are blind, if they want to, you know, I think that's another freedom is freedom of choice. And if you really want to use Skype, you should be allowed to do it. You should be able to do it. And we're just now getting to the point where Skype plus Orca actually works. So they shouldn't use Skype, but if they want to use Skype, it's now accessible, more, more or less. Um, thanks to the work done by Nokia. Um, the XFCE developers, and they are a, <laughs> that's a whole uh, desktop environment with a, bus, a, a small bus factor. You know, there's like about five guys, and if they're all on the same bus, we're in trouble. But they, all by themselves, we didn't have to go beat on their door and say, you know, you need to make this accessible. They came to us and said, how do we do this? So they've had some, some setbacks in terms of getting 4.10 out, but the next X, XFCE um, release is going to hopefully be pretty darn accessible, and they're working with us. So that's 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 more or less three environments Orca users are going to be able to use, which is exciting. Um, LXDE don't know, but it's GTK based GTK, which I'm, we're going to get into momentarily, um, is accessible. So we just got to figure out, you know, what kind of little tweaks we need to do to get that working, and and others I don't know. But I'm, I'm feeling really positive um, for 2012. Okay, so that is everything I want to say about Orca. I now want to talk about how Orca does what it does. Okay, and just very, very brief history. And this is, again, I was in the blindness biz for, you know, 15 years. And if you count what I'm doing now, more than 15 years. Um, in the old days, and maybe still today, I don't know, you'd launch the proprietary Windows screen reader and your cursor would start going really, really fast. And it's like, why? You know, I never understood why that happened. And I've, someone finally told me that's how it's figuring out where the carrot is. It's looking at the screen. I, I remember you, you, you install, you know, one or two proprietary screen readers, you'd uninstall them, but all of a sudden you have no display access whatsoever. Because what was happening is they were inserting some sort of hack to intercept whatever was being sent out to the video card. And that's how screen reading used to work. Fortunately, um, we, we've never had to do that. And fortunately, even in Windows, apparently they're not doing that. So the bad news is that you could take out your system. The good news is that a lot of times it worked. But from the point of view of the screen reader, which is, again, why I'm here recruiting, we, you didn't depend on anybody else. You, you did your screen scraping, but it was everything was under your control. Okay, next slide. 
We use, and even in Windows, but we, we in Orca land and in uh, free desktop environments don't use uh, scraping or tricks. We, we talk to the toolkits through the applications, through ATSPI. I'm going to give you a whole diagram in a minute. Um, so none of that weird cursor blinky, oh, you had installed Orca, you can't use your system anymore kind of stuff. That doesn't happen. Okay. And what's better is we're not having to guess where the cursor is. We're asking where it is. And we're being told. Okay, so that's like really, really awesome. It's really, really reliable. Um, we have, in fact, until just 3.4, um, GNOME accessibility was just really sluggish. And it always was sluggish. And part of that was just something happens, we're told about it. Okay, well, now we got to find out what happened. Is that a, a focus menu or a non-focus menu? Is that an incoming chat message? So we're having these things going back and forth over the wire, you know, where we're getting notified of stuff and we're asking questions, and, and it's just intensive work. And so sometimes you get a performance up, okay? But the good news slash bad news, double-edged swords here, is we're depending on applications and toolkits doing the right thing. And if they don't expose anything at all, we can't present anything at all. And what's almost depending on your perspective, worse, is if they expose bogus information. I mean, we don't know. We just kind of pass it on to the user. And so sometimes there are problems. Next slide. Okay, so here, here's just an overall diagram of, of how all this stuff looks from my perspective. At the very, very top, I've got LibreOffice, Firefox, Gnome Shell, Epiphany, Gedit, Kmail. So obviously applications. Beneath those, what their toolkits are. And beneath those, that's where I'm really starting to care, is the ATK implementation, with the exception of QT, which I'll come back to. In the case of Clutter and uh, GTK, they actually named it. So we had Gale and we have Kali, but it's still an ATK implementation. ATK is the Accessibility Toolkit, okay? And that's what toolkits do to ultimately, it starts, as you can see, it starts trickling down, to make their widgets and other, you know, font information, all that neat stuff we want available and accessible to assistive technology so we can in turn pass it on to the user. I have been told like 20 different times why QT does not um, implement ATK. It was, it was talking directly to this thing called the bridge. And I keep forgetting, and one of these days I should just write it down. I've got premature senility or something like that, or maybe it's age-appropriate senility. I can't remember why, but there's a really good reason why <laughs> the guy at Nokia didn't do it. He talks directly, he created a special bridge. Everyone who implements ATK, it just lands in this thing called the ATK bridge. But ultimately, the thing I care about is that ATSPI2 rectangle. If it gets to ATSPI2, I can get at it. So I'm, I'm screen reader on the far left. And I, I've got a double pointed arrow there because most of the things what you care about when you're a screen reader is what's going on. Where is the user? But consider the case of when I said navigating by heading. In that case, I have to actually reposition the carrot to another location. So in that case, I am actually, it's not that often, but, you know, Orca does actually manipulate the application. And we do it through ATSBI, which works its way back up through the bridge to the toolkit, blah, 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 blah. Uh, screen magnifier. We actually do have a GNOME shell magnifier that does not track focus and the carrot, but it's, it's on their to-do list. But how would it find out where the carrot is? Well, let me back up. Why does it care where the carrot is? So if you imagine magnifying your screen, say, say just 2x magnification. Everything is twice as tall and twice as wide, okay? So area-wise, you know, we, we, we need four times the space. And odds are you don't have four times the monitor, so you're only seeing one-fourth of the screen at a time. And what that means is if you're typing really fast, you're pressing tab, you can actually move, and frequently do move, right off the screen. So a screen magnifier cares about where you are and finds, can find out, hopefully will eventually find out, through ATSPI2, where you are, and could do some other magic, again, through ATSPI2, to say, is that on the screen or not? And if it's not on the screen, move the magnifier so that you actually can see where you are, okay? Um, 
speech for users with learning disabilities, for the most part, it's just going to be talking to them. There's probably not going to be much manipulation, so that's an arrow just going down. Speech recognition, we don't have much of a solution um, in GNOME. There's some really neat stuff called Simon that, right, it's very QT dependent, so GNOME is never officially going to adopt it, but GNOME users can install it. Really cool stuff, still, still being developed. Um, and in that case, assuming the user is just not able to provide input to the computer, they can see what's on the screen. So you can actually like click on widgets and things like that through ATSPI. Okay, so if I see an OK button, I could say OK, and then Simon can go off and do some magic and tell ATSPI to go find the click action to click on the thing. Okay, um, and testing tools. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with LDTP. I'm only aware of it and know see the developer in IRC. Um, a lot of automated testing tools that's like nothing to do with accessibility per se does that automated testing and manipulation of widgets and finding out where focus is through ATSPI. Um, another tool that we're going to talk about very briefly, and it's something I'm hoping I can convince everyone to start checking out for their own applications and environments, um, called Exerciser, it is another testing tool. That's how I use it. Um, and it also finds out things through ATSPI too. And so Exerciser bills itself as the Interactive Accessibility Explorer. It's another Python app. Yay, people who are not, who want to be hackers but don't really have the background, you can hack on Exerciser. Okay, so very briefly, because I'm going to actually do show and tell to make it all work out, you can view accessible objects, you can examine what interfaces, so I guess I should define interfaces, um, Imagine a progress bar, and you want to know that it's at 30%. So that we, we have an accessible value interface. If you want to know what the font information is, where the carrot is, we have an accessible text interface. We have different, you know, there's accessible table interface. We get uh, screen coordinates through the accessible component interface. So we can see for any given widget in any given application, which of these interfaces are implemented at all what information can we find out about them? Okay, monitor accessibility events. So again, getting back to that menu case, eye down arrow, well, something's got to tell me, you know, focus has changed, selection has changed. And for people who are normally programming, for, I mean, they're called signals, we call them events, events are signals. And lastly, what's pretty cool is if you're kind of getting into, you know, how does this accessibility kind of thing work? You're about to do a new feature in Orca or whatever. Sometimes it's nice to take Orca out of the picture and just kind of do those same sorts of programming you do, but without Orca, like, being in the way. And you can do that through Exerciser. So I got pictures here. Um, so on the, um, on the right, I got, no, on the left, um, I've got Gedit in the background. Hello world. And so I've got Exerciser here scrolled to Gedit. So I see the Gedit accessible application. And these are all accessible objects, by the way. They correspond to a widget. Okay. These aren't the widgets. These are accessible representation that we see of the widget. And I can see the menu bar. And I can see the file menu and the edit menu and the view menu. And, it, and I can see their roles. I can see a crazy lot of children, by the way. When I did these screenshots, I do uh, bleeding edge, dog fooding, this is Fedora 18, and I really don't think there's that many accessible children, and you're going to see something even sillier um, momentarily. So sometimes we see weird things like that. Normally in stable environments, we don't. In fact, here's the weird, who can spot the weird thing? <laughs> but what this is, is me looking at, so say the carrot moves, you know, the user's down arrowing line by line by line kind of thing. And I need to present the new line to the user. Hello world. Well, I got to find out what the text is or if the user wants to, you know, do the Orca modifier plus F and I need to give them the font information. Well, where do I get that? I get that through the accessible um, text interface. So through Exerciser, without having to do anything other than just look, I can find out, you know, it, it is accessible text interface implemented. Well, it seems to be. Do I have all these attributes exposed? Yep, yeah, do. The foreground color looks to be about the square of what I'd expect it to be. 
But um, normally for, uh, colors are, you know, uh, decimal, you know, like 255, 255, 255 RGB values. Why they're in the 54 and 55 thousands, I'm not sure here, but I'll file a bug later. Um, next slide. Events. So here is a case where in the previous two Gedit windows, I had hello. So what I had done in between screenshots here is I highlighted or selected the LLO, and with it selected, I typed a Y to replace the LLO with Y to get um, Hey World. And I got two events. I got an object text change delete. The first detail too was the offset that started. Um, the second one tells you how many characters, which is in a way redundant because the third actually gives you the characters and you could probably just count them. But anyway, that's, that's the information I got. I know that LLO is gone and I immediately got a text change insert event that tells me that the character Y, which is only one character, was inserted at offset two. Okay, this, this, these are, this is the kind of thing, this is how ORCA does what it does. Okay, next one. And here's just an example of me, you know, kind of thinking, well, let's say I wanted to present or move the carrot or do whatever, you know, say, say I never implemented support for GTK, and I'm trying to figure out how this works. This is me giving, um, pi so here's an, another alphabet suit, PIASPI. So we got ATSPI slash ATSPI2, the Accessible Technology Service Provider Interface. Well, there's Python bindings, which is, well, I guess technically they're bindings. They do it through introspection, so in a way it's not. But anyway, that is how Python Assistive Technologies and LDTP and Exerciser interact with this information. Well, you get the IPython console in um, Exerciser. You can start poking at this stuff yourself. Next slide. Okay. Or you can roll your own listener. And I've got the dead is simplest case. I mean, life is way more complex than this. But again, I, I'm trying to recruit and convince people that you too can do this. And, and you can. So all you have to do if you want to roll your own listener is you pick the event type. Okay. And, and the example we're going to use is, again, pick, picture G-Edit navigating through the menu. And you're a screen reader. Your job is to present those menu items. So there's a lot... A lot of different types of events. They're listed in Exerciser. They're listed in the accessibility documentation. You, you pick the right ones, okay? You figure out when you get that notification of that event, what you're going to do with it. You tell the ATSPI registry that you care about it, and here's you know here's the handler for it, and you start the registry up. So next slide. So and hopefully due to the lights and the um, everything people can see this. So nine lines, and that's counting the import and the pretty spaces I put to make it readable. So I import Piatsby. I create a listener. Its job is just going to be to print out the thing, and I registered for a pretty generic event: object state changed, because it might be focused, might be selected. I don't know. Started up the registry. Next slide. And I didn't put the output here, and I knew this was going to happen. I was almost going to try to take a screenshot, but to get it to fit on the slide, it would be too, too um, small. Everything starts spewing out, because if you're in an accessible environment and you say, hey, I care about state changes, you're getting anything that became focused, anything that became selected, anything that became checked, anything that became visible, anything that became... I mean, there's like, like a list of 20 things, and you're getting it with the values true. And you're getting values false. So, I mean, just what, you know, you move from one menu item to another. That is a minimum of four events. Okay. So you get like huge spewage and you go, ooh, that was a mistake. Didn't want to do that. So how do we narrow it down? Well, the good news is we can really listen to very specific or register for very specific event types. The bad news is that's about all we can specify, at least right now. I've got a um, RFE file saying assistive technologies really need to be able to, to fine-tune what we ask for. We can't say, I only care about it if it's in gedit to the registry. We can't say, you know, I only care about it if it's true, or I only care about it if it's a menu item. I really wish we could. We can't. So what you have to do as an assistive technology is have really efficient handlers for this. 
Okay. If, uh, find out right away. If it's not of interest, return it's right away. Because when you register for an event, you get it for every accessible object in that environment, whether the application's focused or not. Next slide. Okay, so here, here's take two of this, which is looks like 15 lines, still with my nice pretty blank lines. So I did two things. I'm going to present them in reverse order. So at the bottom, I mean, what, what could, out of all the different kinds of states that are changing, is your arrowing through a menu? Well, keyboard focus is moving. And, you know, I see the menu becoming selected. So I guess state change focus, state change selected. Um, and my listener, I found out what the application name is. And if it's not coming from GEDIT and it's not coming from menu, I don't, I don't care. I just want the rest. And the results are much, much smaller. In fact, it fit on a slide. Okay. So that's what I got. So you could, yeah, I mean, it takes a while if you've never looked at this formatted output to take it in. But when you look at it, I mean, you can picture exactly what I did. Okay, object state change selected. In the case of state change, the first detail, ones and zeros here, tell you true or false. So the first line says something became selected. What was it? A menu item called new. Came from the application GEDIT. The second event, something became unselected. The menu item new. That must have been when I down arrowed because right after that, something became selected again. The open menu. This is all I need slight oversimplification. This is all I need as an assistive technology that wants to present menu changes to a user who's blind. You know, I still got to do some other stuff and I got to make sure it goes out in speech. And I got to make sure it's relevant and blah, blah, blah. But, but it's that simple, folks. Okay, next slide. Okay, and so here's just essentially what I said was pretty formatting to, to, to gray out the stuff I don't care about. By the way, why don't I care about things becoming unselected? User's not there anymore. You should care about where he left. You care about where he is now. Okay, so I just ignore the ones that, you know, were unselected. Present the ones that are. What's of relevance to the user? We'll set display text. And, you know, maybe you didn't know what the display text was. But again, when you look at the name of those accessible menu items, well, there it is. Okay, so my conclusions are, as a screen reader, I need to listen for object state change selected, where the first detail is one, meaning true, so then I speak in brown name. And then my other thing is here a note to self, because if I read the handy dandy um, ATK documentation, the definition of keyboard focus changing is that's, you know, I forget the exact language, but basically, keyboard, when you down arrow in a menu, that meets the official ATK definition of keyboard focus changing. It's like, why aren't we getting that event? What did GTK change? And I'm pretty sure I already found this and filed a bug a while ago, and I need to ping some developers about it. But, but th this is, you know, a crash course in accessibility 101. Okay? So we need you. So we got a, next slide please, we got a bus factor of one in like so many different groups. We have some ATs that don't exist. So people are like, Orca, you should also be the uh, assistive technology for people with learning disabilities, even though they can see and don't need Braille. Uh, excuse the snarkiness. Um, and so where there's, you know, this is the normal join us kind of speech, all these different areas. You don't have to be able to program. But let me give you a very specific case of why we need testing help. Um, and in many different areas, but um, Ubuntu, oh, hopefully, um, whatever it is, Precise is going to come out accessible. They broke, like, in the past month or so, so much stuff, so much stuff. Um, and we have a lot of Ubuntu users, um, and, and they're, they're angry, too. The Orca users, they're just, fortunately, they're not complaining on the Orca list anymore. They're complaining on the Ubuntu accessibility. I mean, really nice people, the sweetest people. I mean, they're, they're dropping F-bombs. <laughs> Ubuntu kind of really blew it. And, you know, I, I, so they're, 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 everyone's asking the question, well, how did you blow it this bad? You know, where's the regression testing? Why aren't the Unity developers, because Unity used to be accessible. It's like apparently... Again, and it says it's being recorded. It's all going to be fine. Um, but, but you know, we're getting pretty close to code freeze. You know, why this stuff is broken. Um, 
we need more people testing. And the problem here, the barrier to entry for a lot of users who are blind is if you only have one computer and in order to actually test and interact with that computer, you know, you need Unity working, you need Orca working, you need ATSPI working, you need, you need, you need, you need, you need. And if any one of those things breaks, you can't use your system. It's not like you can turn on your vision and then diagnose it and fix it. Okay? At that point, you might have to reinstall your whole system. So users who are blind, bless their hearts, they are testing throughout the process. But in terms of really like grabbing Ubuntu and grabbing Fedora and grabbing, you know, insert distro here, it's happening pretty close to the release. We need people, you know, not necessarily who can see, but people with, you know, who understand how this stuff works, who maybe have a spare system or virtual machines, who from all along the process could test. And who know enough about, which is pretty much what I showed you already, know enough about ATSPI and exerciser and writing, you know, listening for events that they can actually do some diagnosis and say, hey guys, this is why Orca is not presenting this field. I'm not giving any events or we don't think it's focused or whatever. We need a bunch of help in this area. Um, anyone who is good at um, automated regression testing, we could use that too, because if we had proper automated regression testing built upstream in GNOME, and, and for that matter, we had a recent regression in the Qt accessibility, and downstream in Ubuntu, and Fedora, and blah, 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 this stuff wouldn't happen. So it could be live functional testing, it could be re writing regression testing, but we definitely need help there. Um, we need bugs reported, you know, if we don't, you know, the spiel. If we don't know it's broken, you know, we can't fix it. Um, even at the toolkit level, there's like an, ex, you know, it's slight exaggeration, but there, there was like one main guy doing GTK accessibility. There is one main guy doing uh, clutter accessibility. You know, we have got so many bus factors of one. Okay, people fixing bugs, people implementing features, um, it would be amazing. Please join us. If, by the way, if you write your own applications, please find out if they're accessible or not. And if they're not, and you know, I'll give contact information briefly, um, come find us. We'll help you make it accessible. We'll, we'll, we'll make Triscoll like super, super accessible. It'll be amazing. Um, we, we want more people involved. Okay, but back to the free software community experience, you know, typical spiel, even if you can't code, we need documentation writers, we need people translating and localizing. Um, community outreach, it sounds like, uh, oh yeah, well even you can join kind of thing. The biggest load off of um, two of our team members' shoulders, one of them being mine, is we got a marketing guy. He's actually got a Friends of GNOME accessibility campaign running. He deals with getting quarterly reports and stuff like that, you know, and release notes out. And all of a sudden, um, the other developer who does the GNOME shell accessibility and me, we're actually able to focus on GNOME shell accessibility instead of like marketing related, you know, bureaucratic things that really need doing. But, you know, we just don't have time to do it all kind of thing. We, we need people in so many different areas, okay? And so why is speech synthesis my top area of choice? You heard he speak, right? Enough said. Free um, speech synthesis, it's like it's awesome. It's there. It's in a lot of different languages, and it sounds like the robot from Lost in Space with less emotion, <laughs> Okay. Um, the accessibility libraries, you know, I, again, these are things that are actively being developed, but, but like one person, whatever your itch might be, and, you know, we, we need you to come scratch it in accessibility. Um, the last one I want to point out, distros. I am on, here's my new kick. Everyone needs an accessible installer. Ubuntu has an accessible installer. I don't think they broke that. Uh, they may have. But like no one else, well, I shouldn't say no one else. Do you have an accessible installer? Tr Triscoll? Is your, can, can, it's the same one. It's the same as Okay, so you, so you inherit. Make sure it's not broken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Jonathan tried and it's pretty okay. It's not working right now because we have some bugs in the installer. 
Ah, okay. It's not related to what to do. Okay. Um, but yeah, a lot of them don't. You know, I mean, I, I personally am a Fedora user. Um, I like it. Um, my other reason is it's so close to upstream that it makes it really easy for me to do my GNOME-related work because, you know, I, I don't have to worry about what's being patched. It's just all up, upstream goodness. Um, and I would really love all these users who are dropping F-bombs. It's like, you know, if you if you want to know for sure where Orca works, it works really great in Fedora, uh, where's the accessible installer kind of thing. So anyone who wants who likes running installers we need all distros to have that next slide please um i don't expect everyone to like write these down but there there are a bunch of different active accessibility communities with very very few people in them but whatever distro whatever desktop environment whatever it's an environment you want to scratch it in there's probably a group a very very small group that would love to have you and the last one, Google it, okay? Or as, um, I forget who it was now, but earlier in the presentation, someone said, you know, you can start your own community. That applies to accessibility too, okay? If the thing you care about is, I don't even know what, you know, music editing software, is it accessible? You know, if it's not, what is it gonna take to make it accessible? I bet there's a lot of blind users who would love to use your music editing software. But, you know, we need to form a community around it, get people writing accessible software, get people testing it, and so forth. So lastly, I've got the too long didn't read slide. Um, the neat thing, and it's not, you know, this makes it sound like GNOME accessibility is where it's all at. I mean, historically it was due to the whole Sun, IBM, everyone invested in accessibility. But it's just kind of like because of that history, I mean, the Mozilla guy, Mozilla Accessibility Developers, they're on Pound A11Y. The cute developer, you know, KDE Accessibility, he is also in Pound A11Y. The, downs, the distros who really care about accessibility, including Ubuntu, in fact, that's one of the, we have some active Ubuntu people who are there. If you have any questions, if we don't know the answer, odds are that the person who does know the answer is actually hanging out in that room and to answer it for you. And if that's not the case, we know who you need to talk to and or where the docs you need are. So it's, you know, it sounds like I'm promoting GNOME here. It's just this is this happened to be where we've all converged. So I talked really, really fast, but I knew I was going to run out of time. So are there questions? I've stunned you all into silence. I have that effect on people. I don't know why. Okay, well, in that case, thanks. Thank you. you have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HPR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HPR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.